message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Great to see you. Thank you for being here. So this morning, I had plans to start my new preaching series, Working My Way Through the Gospel of Luke. I felt for a while it would be good to uh, look at a New Testament book, and I thought it would be good to look at the life of Jesus once again, and uh, to work our way through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, seeing what we can learn from working our way through that. However, or, but, <laughs> I was so stirred at last Sunday's prayer meeting. Well, and when, how many of you were there? Put your hand up if you were at last Sunday's prayer meeting. It was a great evening, wasn't it? I reckon it's one, it was one of our best prayer meetings. Uh, it was certainly the largest prayer meeting we ever had with uh, 50 or so people. But it was a great evening of praying and calling on God and seeking Him and praying for various things in the life of the church. If you missed it, listen, you want to be at the next one. Trust me, it was, it was really good. Um, but I was so stirred last Sunday evening. If you were there, you may remember there were one or two prophetic words that picked up on the theme of Nehemiah and building a wall. Do you remember those things? If you, if you were there, you, you, can, you can nod. Hopefully I'm not the only person that remembers those. And uh, I found them quite challenging. So much so that I thought, let's spend a couple of weeks just picking out a few lessons from the book of Nehemiah. Now, let's be clear, this is going to be an aerial view, okay? There is not time over a couple of weeks to do you know, an exegetical work through verse by verse through the whole book. We're not going to do it like that. There's not time to do that. Um, I have actually preached through Nehemiah before. Uh, that was some seven or so years ago, so some of you would remember that. Uh, many of you would have joined us since then. But if you know Nehemiah, you'll know that there are many principles that we can learn from it. Particularly if you're a leader, or if you, if you want to be a leader in God's church, Nehemiah is an excellent book to read and to study. There's lots that you can learn. But I felt so challenged last Sunday night, I thought, let's spend just a couple of weeks in Nehemiah, seeing what God has for us, and then I'm trusting we'll get into Luke in a few weeks' time. So that's my plan. Is that okay? So, this, so I'm going to attempt to do the first few chapters uh, and draw out one or two lessons from the first few chapters of Nehemiah this morning. We're not going to read it all, because that would take up all our time, and we wouldn't have time to, uh, to mention anything else. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be dipping into a few verses as we go. Uh, maybe you want to be reading Nehemiah over the next few weeks. You may well find that helpful and useful for our study together. So let's pray and uh, then we'll open up God's word together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you for your word to us, Lord. Uh, we thank you, Jesus, that you are the living word of God. But we thank you too for the written word that we have in scripture and we pray now as we look at it together that Lord you would speak to us God would you come and be our teacher please Holy Spirit would you apply the words of this book of Nehemiah to our lives both individually and corporately as a church come and teach us please we ask it in Jesus name Amen Amen. so if you've got your Bible with you you might want to turn uh, flick or press the appropriate buttons uh, to get to Nehemiah. You may well 
find it useful to have it open in front of you. Uh, it's in the Old Testament, in the first part of the Bible. Uh, you go through uh, the first few books. You, you hit the books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. And then you get to Ezra and to Nehemiah. So that's where it is. If you can have it open in front of you, we'll, uh, we'll nip into a few verses as we go. And uh, you can follow it as we do that. But let me give you some background before we uh, get into the book itself. Throughout their history, the nation of Israel went through a bit of a cycle, really. What happened was God would speak to them, and uh, he would draw them to himself, and for a while they would follow him, and uh, then they would rebel, and God would send them a prophet, and... uh, on a good day, they would repent and decide to uh, to walk with the Lord again. And they'd do that for a while and then rebel and walk away from God. And God would send a prophet to them. And on a good day, they would repent and turn around and they'd walk with the Lord for a while. And this cycle went on and on over many years. And if you know your Old Testament history, there were times of extended periods of them rebelling against the Lord. There were some good times as well, particularly when they had some good godly kings and they followed the Lord faithfully. But more often than not, what happened was they rebelled and ended up going away from the Lord. But there came a point in their history where God decided that enough was enough in this cycle. And God judged them for their sin. And uh, they were defeated by their enemies and they were taken off into exile. And in 587-586 BC, Jerusalem falls and the people are taken off to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now not everyone is taken, some are left, but certainly uh, the rulers, the educated, the, uh, if you like, the higher up in society, if you want to use that sort of language, were taken. And uh, those who are left actually were in a bit of a state. They were poor, um, things were not going well in Jerusalem, and so they couldn't afford to repair the damage that had been done by the invading armies. Now, some years later, the people are allowed to return, or some of the people are allowed to return, under a certain measure of self-rule. And that happened in in, in several stages. And so we we pick up the story um, when there are some people that have gone back to Jerusalem, and uh, we come across this guy called Nehemiah. And um, he's in Susa, he's serving the king, King Artaxerxes, and his brother and some other men come to visit him. And they bring him some news. So for Nehemiah, this started off as an ordinary day. He was uh, a servant to the king, and uh, it started off as a regular day for him, but it turned into quite an extraordinary day because he found out how things were going back home. So we're not told whether it's an official visit or whether it's a social call and they turn up to see how Nehemiah is doing. But as they arrive, Nehemiah asks them, how are things back home? He wants to find out about the state of the people, the state of the city. What's it like back home? For those of you who have moved away from perhaps where you grew up as a youngster, if you see friends from that area, a natural question, isn't it, to say, oh, how's so-and-so? Or how, how, are the, how is a group of people doing? Or maybe if you know a particular location, you might say, well, well how, how's that going? What, what's happening there? 
And for Nehemiah, this was a natural question as well. But the news we find out is not good. So Nehemiah 1, verse 3, they said to me, those who survive the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. This is not good news, is it? It's not what you want to hear about your hometown, where you've where you grown up. If you asked about your, the group of friends maybe you went to school with, or that you grew up with, or the city that you, uh, that you grew up with, you wouldn't want that sort of news. And this was not perhaps what Nehemiah was expecting. Maybe he'd imagine that those who were left you know, were doing an okay job, trying to, trying to get by and had, you know, rebuilt the wall and made things good again. But they were, he was wrong. Jerusalem was in disgrace. The walls were broken down. Anybody could come in or out of the city. There was no protection to the people. And then we read in the next verse, in verse 4, the foundation to what happens in the rest of the book. Nehemiah 1, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. This, is, this lays the foundation for what happens in the rest of the book of Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah allows himself to be moved by the situation. Do you notice his, his reaction? He hears these things and he weeps. He mourns and fasts and prays. It's easy to hear news but not let it affect you, isn't it? Particularly in our culture, in our day, where we're getting news pretty much all the time, from every angle, and it's easy just to let it wash over us. You know, a fact that would be familiar to all of us, that millions of people will die from starvation in our world. That billions of people are heading for an eternity without Jesus. These are, these are facts that are familiar to us. They should affect us. But news fatigue can set in, doesn't it? You know, it's like when you see a disaster on, on television. Maybe the first time you see it, maybe even with the, the, uh, the recent disaster of the cruise ship that sank, maybe the first time you see the headlines on television, it grabs your attention. You think, oh, it's dreadful, and you watch it, and you want to know what's happening. But after you've seen it a few times, you might think, oh, yeah, I've seen that story. Yes, I know what's happening there. And fatigue can set in. But actually, the sort of facts that I've mentioned should affect us. They should grab hold of us. I read a report just in the last week or so that uh, was issued by the Centre for Cities. And uh, in their report, they say that Derby ranks the lowest in the, in the list of cities in the UK for the percentage of working age population with no formal qualifications. What do we do with things like that? Do we think, oh, that's a shame? <laughs> or do we think, hang on a second, in our city where we live, we're right at the bottom of the table for people of a working age who have no formal qualifications. Doesn't that affect us? Doesn't we? Shouldn't we be saying, hang on, surely that's not right. <laughs> surely somebody should do something about that. You know, we should let those sort of things affect us. We shouldn't just be saying, oh, well, that's a shame. You know, we're in right at the bottom there. But actually, things like that should affect us. 
Somebody should say, you know, that's not good enough. Someone should say, I don't want my kids to grow up in that sort of city. I think we can do better than that. You know what? Maybe the church has got a voice in that. Maybe the church has got a role to play in that. Because we shouldn't hear those sort of things and think, oh, well, that's, that's just a shame and move on to the next thing. Actually, on that particular issue, I think the church should do something. And maybe there is something that we can do. We may not have all the answers for a problem of that size, but maybe we have a contribution to make. But for Nehemiah, the news that he hears, again, is huge. He's just one individual. And yet he hears that in his city, the walls are broken down, burned with fire, the gates, anybody can come or go, he's not looking good. What can he do? He's just one guy. What can he do? Well, he weeps, he mourns, he fasts, and he prays. See, Nehemiah's response was prayerful. You know what, when we hear things like that, that should be our first response as well. To bring it before the Lord. Say, God, this is not right. And to pray about it and to see what is on God's heart for it. So Nehemiah's first response then was to pray, to bring it to the Lord. What's our response when we hear bad news? Or we read about these sort of situations. Is it the same? Is it to pray, to bring it before the Lord? I've said already, we had a a great time of prayer last Sunday evening. Many of you would have been there following a week of prayer and fasting. And it's great to bring things to the Lord and be praying for what he's doing in our church, in our city, and indeed the nations. But was that a one-off, or should that be the norm? Actually, that should be the norm, shouldn't it? Those sort of prayer meetings where we're encountering God, we're praying fervently for the things he's put in our hearts. That should be normal for us. That shouldn't be unusual. So I want to encourage us, next time we have a prayer meeting, and the next one is on Tuesday the 7th of February, by the way, for your diaries. Then let's gather, let's be expectant. Let's be calling on the Lord. It may be that we're praying for our city. Say, oh God, would you break in? Would you help us know how to respond to some of the things that... Uh, affect us and affect others in our city. Prayer is so important, friends. For Nehemiah, that's the first thing he did. Before he has any action, he brings it to God. And that should be true for us as well, shouldn't it? Leonard Ravenhill said this. He said, Let the fires go out in the boiler room of the church, and the place will still look smart and clean, but it will be cold. The prayer room is the boiler room for its spiritual life. It's true, isn't it? Spurgeon said this. I think I've used this quote before. Maybe you've heard it. He said, The church of God would be far stronger to wrestle with this ungodly age if she were more given to prayer and fasting. Typical Spurgeon quote. But it's true. Corrie Ten Boom, who you may have read of, said, Is is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tyre? What is it for you? What is it for us? Nehemiah prayed before he did anything else he got God's perspective on the situation and then he was able to act so Nehemiah 2 we find him going to his boss, the king and making some asks and Nehemiah makes a very bold ask of the king well, you see in, the, in, the, in Nehemiah 2 that the king Artaxerxes said to him Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. 
And before you think, oh, he's just having a down day, listen, even to approach the king looking sad, he was risking his life. He was risking his head. That's not how you approach the king. The king, you know, that wasn't normal for the king to be asking about Nehemiah's personal life. Nehemiah, you don't look so great. What's going on? That would not have been a normal conversation. So even approaching the king like this was risky for Nehemiah. But he did that, and the king asked him what was going on. And Nehemiah tells him. And we find that an ungodly king resources Nehemiah's godly vision. I love that. It's great. Not only does he get some time off to go back to Jerusalem and, uh, and lead the people, but actually the king gives him resources to do the job, which is even better. And so Nehemiah asks some time off and gets it. He even asks for timber from the king's forest and gets that as well. But it's not that he's just a bit cheeky and gets away with it. <laughs> Please don't think it's that. Because it's not they just caught the king off guard or maybe on a particularly good day. Nehemiah is very clear in verse 8 about why the king was favourable to him. He says this, And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. wasn't the king was in a good mood. wasn't that Nehemiah was a bit cheeky. It was because of God's gracious hand upon him. It's so important we see that. We need to see that in that verse and understand that's why Nehemiah was successful in asking the king. Because of God, God's gracious hand upon him. So God had put something in his heart. He'd heard about a situation, wanted to do something about it, went to the king and asked for both the time and the resources to do it. And God's gracious hand was on him and blessed him because of it. You see, when God calls you to something, he provides what you need. I'll say it again. When God calls you to something, he provides what you need. And even as I was preparing this week, I felt that some of you need to hear that. Some of you God has spoken to and put something in your heart. Maybe a dream, maybe you know, a desire to be involved in something particular, a vision for something. You know that God has spoken to you, but you think it could never happen. It's just too impossible. It's too big. How can I ever do it? You need to hear what Nehemiah knew. When God's gracious hand is on you, he provides what you need. And if God has called you to something, his provision will back it up. If God has spoken to you, put a dream in your heart, called you to something, he'll give you what you need. doesn't mean that, that Nehemiah, you know, got the equivalent of a Porsche to drive back home in, but it does mean he got what he needed, what was required to do the job, because of God's gracious hand on him. Friends, this morning some of you need to hear about God's gracious hands. If God has spoken something to you, he'll provide what you need to carry it out. And so Nehemiah heads back at the back end of chapter 2. We get him uh, taking an assessment of the situation. Now he's not running away in some dream world here. It's a very sober assessment at the end of chapter 2, looking at the state of the city, what it's really like. It's a mess. It really is. It may even have been worse than he imagines. And so it's a very sober assessment that he makes and realises that the city and its people are in trouble. 
lying in ruins, as he puts it in verse 17 of chapter 2. You see, Nehemiah checks out the facts for himself, the sober assessment of the situation, and then he summons the people, he casts his vision, and they agree to start the rebuilding. And so we find that in Nehemiah chapter 3. And it's this particular chapter that stirred my thinking on Sunday night. And what it was that struck me about Nehemiah 3, and maybe others of you that were there on Sunday evening, is this, this the fact that everyone got involved. See, it wasn't just Nehemiah. It wasn't just maybe some friends that had gone with him. It wasn't just one or two people that he knew. It was the fact that everybody played their part. Everybody got involved. And you can imagine the scene, young and old, all sorts of people, everyone pitching in to make it happen. And so in Nehemiah 3, you get a whole list of names. And um, you'll be disappointed to know that I'm not going to read all the way through Nehemiah 3 with a list of names. But you can read it for yourself and you'll see that time and again, you get some people that you may not hear of again in Scripture, but they're playing their part. They're doing what they can to fulfil this godly vision of restoring the walls. And so, let's have a couple of verses to illustrate the point. Verse uh, 22, for example. Uh, the repairs next to, next to him uh, were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah, son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Binu, son of Henadad, repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle and the corner. And Palau, son of Uzziah, worked opposite the angle and the tower projected from the upper palace near the court of the guard. Next to him, and so the list goes on. And so you find all these people getting involved and uh, they are repairing the bit next to their house, weren't they? Where, they where, where the wall was damaged near them, they took responsibility. So they could see that something needed to happen and um, they got involved and repaired the bit that was close to them. There's been much talk recently about the government's localism agenda. They'd love the list of the verse because you'll find that you know, families and individuals were taking responsibility for their bit, their local bit, where they could make a difference, where, where they could serve, where they had a contribution to make. They did their bit. And because next door they were doing their bit as well and it got joined up, then that bit of the wall got completed. And because opposite them and just round the corner, the guys in that house, they were doing their bit as well, that bit got completed. And so they were each working on their little bit of the wall and because they were all playing their, uh, playing their part, because they were all involved, you find that actually the whole wall got rebuilt. And it wasn't just one guy doing it. It wasn't just Nehemiah's bricklaying incorporated. Everyone had a part to play. And I guess if you'd said to any one individual, I want you to repair the walls of Jerusalem, they would have gone, well, how do I do that? But actually, because everybody got involved, because everybody had a part to play, they achieved remarkable feats. And the walls got repaired. On Sunday evening, there was a sense of God inviting us to get on board and to play our part. 
each of us to bring our own contribution to what God is calling us together. Adam had a prophetic word about uh, this sort of theme and, and taking a step forward and uh, taking a step to you know, signify uh, being part of the vision that God was calling us to together. You see, we're committed to building a church that lives out New Testament Christianity in the 21st century. You know, you know, what you read about in this book, here and now, in this city where we live, in the place that God has called us to, we want to be building a church where we love God, where we love one another, where we love those who don't know Jesus yet, where we serve the city and reach nations. God has spoken to us about these sort of things. That's what we're about. And as a church, we're on a journey to fulfill those sort of things. We're not there yet. We haven't reached our destination, but we're moving along. Now, some of us have been on this journey for a while now, and uh, we've been partnering together, and we're beginning to see what God is doing. Others of you are just joining us, more recently getting involved and being part of what God is doing in Jubilee. Maybe some of you even this morning are here just looking in, wondering if this is the place that God is calling you to be part of, if he's calling you to be part of Jubilee as well and be involved in what God is doing in this place. Many of you, over the years, have given sacrificially to this vision. Now, you've given time, you've given energy, you've given money. And friends, this morning, if that's you, I want to thank you for playing your part. Thank you for being part of what God is calling us together. No one of us could do this on our own. It takes all of us together to achieve these things. So thank you for serving. Thank you for turning up early. Thank you for giving. Thank you for giving your lives and counting the costs. But you know what? We're not there yet. Because we're on a journey together. Those of you who have got kids of the age where they can talk will be familiar with the phrase, Mummy, Daddy, are we nearly there yet? And if your kids can't talk yet, then they will say that. I can guarantee it. Maybe it will be one of their first phrases. But on a long journey, you get used to that, don't you? You, you know the kids are going to say, Daddy, are we nearly there yet? Normally that happens as we turn out of our road. Like, no, we've got three hours to go yet. <laughs> but you see, on a long journey, typically you'll have times of moving forward and times of sitting on the M25 and going nowhere fast. <laughs> you'll have times of making fast progress and then you'll stop, won't you? Every, every now and then you might get to a motorway service station and think, I'm going to take a break, get a coffee. Have a walk around. Have a bit of a break before heading off for the next part of the journey. You see, on a long journey, you have times like that, of moving forward and times of rest. And there are times when I have stood up and said to us, guys, we need to take a rest just now. You know, after a season of pushing forward and advancing God's kingdom, sometimes we've said, let's just, let's just ease off the gas for a while. Let's just rest, recuperate before we push again. But now is not one of those times. Now is a time for pressing on, for moving forward, for building on the momentum that God is giving us, 
Now's the time of pressing in to what he's calling us together. You know, it's so exciting to see new people around every week. And if you've been here recently, over recent weeks, it's great to see you. Thank you for looking in. Thank you for being part of us. We're trusting that God is speaking to your heart, maybe even this morning, and calling you to be part of what he's building here. You see, Jesus said that he will build his church. See, it's his job. It's not ours. But actually, it's our job to give him something great to work with. Jesus is building his church. Are you giving him something great to work with? You see, every single one of us has got a part to play here. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and other passages in Scripture, both all teach us that everyone has a part to play. There's nobody left out here. Every single person has a unique contribution to make. And so whether you've been around for years and you feel like you're part of the furniture, or whether you're here for the very first time this morning, or somewhere in between those two extremes, let me say this. You've got a part to play. You have a contribution to make. And I want to invite you to join us on the journey. Come with us. We need you. Let's be clear. We're not perfect. I'm certainly not. And actually looking around, I don't think the rest of us are either. But we do know this. Even though we don't always get things right, we do know that God is with us. We know that he has called us to have a great impact on this city, the surrounding area, playing our part in reaching this nation for Christ and indeed the nations for God's glory. God's spoken to us about these things. I want to invite you to come with us on the journey. Be part of what God is doing, even here and in further afield as we press on. Nehemiah could get the wall rebuilt in just 52 days because everyone got stuck in. Everybody played their part. Everybody did what they could. I would imagine that in the city there were those who were skilled at bricklaying and those who, perhaps like me, were more bricklaying challenged, if you know what I mean. You know, there'll be people who are excellent at such practical things. My friend Derek, for example, will be brilliant at building a wall. And there'll be people like me who would sort of hold the trowel and wonder which way around to hold it. And, you know, you look at the bag of the cement and think, well, it's not very sticky. Why isn't it working? But you know what? That's okay. Because there would have been a few people around who had said, hey, you don't do it like that. You, you, you know, you put this gluey stuff that apparently is called cement on first and, and then you put it on and line it up and, and then you scrape it off and, and do a little bit and, you know, just make it work. And they go, oh, I think I could do that. Let me try. And they try it and they, I learn how to do it. And there'd be somebody like me who would still come along with me, trowel one way or the other and think, well, I think it goes on and, you know, eventually we'd get there. But you know, it's okay. Because in community, that works. Because next time around, where there's something else that needed to be done, there'll be somebody else who had the experience or the knowledge or the skill and was able to say to the others, well, you know what, guys? Now, this is how you do it. I'm able to take the lead in other situations. It worked for Nehemiah. And friends, it works today as well. Jesus is building his church. He wants you and I to get stuck in and be part of what he's doing. So I want to urge you this morning, get stuck in, step up, be involved, step out in the gifts that God has given you. Grow in him, 
fulfill all that he's got for you as together we follow him on this great adventure of building Jubilee, of impacting this city, our area, the nation and the nations for Christ. Should we be part of that? God's calling us this morning again to, to give ourselves to these things. Let's just press on a couple more chapters before we're completely out of time. Nehemiah 4 reminds us that there will be opposition. Let's bring some reality to it. There will be opposition. There was for Nehemiah. And you know what? There will be for us as well. That's not being negative. It's just how it is. And Nehemiah certainly faced it. Jesus faced it. Paul faced it. And so will we. It goes with the territory. So what did Nehemiah do? Well, he prayed about it. There's a pattern here, isn't there? <laughs> he prayed about it. He posted the guard. And then he re-envisioned the people to carry on with the work. And to give themselves again to building the wall. What he didn't do was spending loads of time going after the opposition and dealing with it. He was far more focused on prayer, post some guards, and then let's get to work. That was his response. And so when opposition comes, or when you get tired and weary, and you will, we all will at different times, that's the time to get before God and then to encourage yourself and indeed one another. And this theme was coming out a little bit in worship, wasn't it, in terms of stirring ourselves before the Lord. So, for example, in 1 Samuel 30, we don't have time to look at it this morning, but David and his men suffer an awful attack as an army. And uh, before David can do anything in terms of rallying his troops and saying, come on, let's, let's go again, we're told that he encouraged himself in the Lord. Before he could do anything, David got before his God, encouraged his heart, strengthened himself, and then went and led out his men to victory again. Whose responsibility is it to encourage your heart? It's actually yours. It's your responsibility to encourage your heart before the Lord. And you need to learn how to do that. Nobody else can do that for you. We can encourage one another, and that's important. But actually, it has to come out of, firstly, encouraging ourselves, speaking to our hearts, and strengthening ourselves in the Lord. But let's make sure as well we're encouraging one another on this journey that we're in together. We're holding a thank you for serving meal in a few weeks' time. And uh, we're inviting those who have have served in Jubilee in the last year or so to come and join us. And we want to thank people for giving their time and energy and say, thank you for serving. Thank you for being part of this journey together. Invites have some have gone out this week. Some have got to go out in a week or, or so to come. But it's important that we encourage one another and thank people as we go as well. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Church, talks about what he calls the Nehemiah Principle. He says, vision and purpose must be restated every 26 days to keep the church moving in the right direction. That's once a month, or thereabouts. And that's how often we need to be restating our vision, reminding one another of God's call, and refocusing our energy on what's ahead about every month. We need that. We need each other to help us in that as well. So let's make sure we're helping one another in these things and encouraging one another as we go. In Nehemiah 5, (coughs) we find that Nehemiah helped the poor. It's actually uh, headed, Nehemiah helps the poor in my Bible. Maybe it is in yours as well. Because he was concerned for those whom society had neglected. 
those who are a bit outcast, those who hadn't got perhaps the same resources as others, those whose society had forgotten or taken advantage of. Nehemiah was concerned for them. You see, he was concerned for them because God is concerned for them. The theme that runs right throughout the Old and the New Testament, God's heart is for the poor, the disadvantaged, the marginalised, those on the outskirts of society. Comes up in Old Testament law, we find it in the story of Ruth, in Nehemiah, in the Gospels, in Acts, and the letters. Pretty much everywhere you look, you find that God has got a heart for the poor, for the marginalised, for those whom society would forget. See, you can't read the Bible and not be confronted by that truth. So let's make sure that we're doing the same. Let's have a heart for those sort of people whom society can neglect or leave out. We're making a difference. Let's be doing that individually, looking at ways in which we can respond to need personally, but also as a church as well. And these sort of scriptures should challenge us. But it starts with having your heart moved. It's not just about signing up to a project. It's about God moving our hearts, doing something internal inside us. What can you do? Well, you can look for opportunities to bless, to, to get involved. You can do that personally. We're certainly doing that as a church as we continue to look at different things that we can be involved in. Now, you might want to support the, the uh, let me get this right, the one pound or one item a week project that, that Kevin's been organising. We're seeking to do some food parcels for uh, those who are waiting for benefits to come through and don't have any other means of support. There may be other things that you can get involved with. Little actions you might think, oh, it's not very much, but listen, a lot of seemingly not very much can make a huge difference. Think about the guy rebuilding the wall just outside his house. He might have thought, well, it's only this much. How is that going to make a difference, the wall of Jerusalem? It made a difference because his neighbour was doing the same. And his neighbour the other side was doing the same as well. So lots of small things can make a massive difference. Let's not despise small things. But let's look for opportunities to serve the city, to love Derby, as we've said, to bless one another, to bless people as we can. And just as we begin to draw to a close, Nehemiah 6. Again, Nehemiah experiences further opposition, but the wall is completed in just 52 days. That's less than eight weeks. That is some going. And when Sanballat and Geshem try to arrange to meet Nehemiah and draw him away from what he's doing, he sends them a message in Nehemiah 6, verse 3. It says this, So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? See, Nehemiah knew what he was about. And he wasn't going to be distracted by those who were seeking to oppose him and draw him away from what he should be doing. Nehemiah was focused. He knew he were, what he was about, what God had called him to, and he was giving himself to it. He wasn't going to allow any opposition to shipwreck that or to distract him. And the same is true for us. We're about a great work here. This is a great project that God has called us to. Do you realise that? It's not just about turning up to church on a Sunday morning thinking, oh, I'm glad we're at the quad. These seats are great. No, no, God has called us to a great and mighty work. He has called us to a huge vision, actually, that affects this city, 
the area, this country, and indeed the nations. God has called us this. We're about a great work. Nehemiah wouldn't allow anything to distract him. What about us? What about you? Do you know what God has called you to? Well, firstly, he's called you to a relationship with himself. That's the first thing. But it's not just that you might have a relationship with Jesus and think, well, that's good, my sins are forgiven, I'm going to heaven, it's all cool now. Yes, that's part of it, that your sins are forgiven, you have a relationship with God and you know actually your eternal destiny, but that's not it. There's more. God has things for you now. He has a call upon your life. He has a purpose for you. He has things for, for you to do that actually only you can do. You might think, well, it just seems so impossible. How could it be? Well, Nehemiah could have thought that. Look at what he was able to achieve. So let me ask you, have you responded to his call for a relationship with him? Have you responded to his call for for purpose and mission, for being part of what he's doing in the earth? God is about a great thing in the earth. You look at what's going on in churches right across the world. And you'll see time and again, God is about a great thing. And he's called you and I to be part of it. And to get involved. And to play our part. And so this morning I want to encourage you to step into all that God has for you. To give yourself to to following Jesus. To step up to what God is calling you to. To exercise the gifts that he's given you. To grow in them. To serve him. To be part of what God is calling us together. Actually, the band can come up, please. Let me ask you, what's your response? Nehemiah's response to God was, yes. Yes, Lord. What's your response to God this morning? Is it, yes, Lord? Or is it, oh, I'm not really sure. Let me ask you, are you going to be a Nehemiah or are you going to be a Jonah? Nehemiah prayed and acted and achieved great things. Jonah, well, he ran away, ended up nearly drowning and being eaten by a large fish. Would you want to be a Nehemiah or a Jonah? Good answer. It's a Nehemiah, isn't it? Are you going to run the race or are you going to run away? What's our response to the Lord this morning? Let's stand together, can we? I'm going to pray as we draw to a close. I found Ray's words so challenging earlier during the worship about awakening to the Lord and responding to his call on your life. I went to him and said, oh Ray, that's such a great word. Thank you for bringing it. It just seemed to tie in with what I wanted to say this morning. Isn't it good when that happens? <laughs> God seems to know. So what's your response to the Lord this morning? Father, we thank you for Nehemiah, for these few moments we've spent in the first part of this book. And Lord, we want to say this morning, God, we want to be a Jonah and run away. Lord, we want to be a Nehemiah and play our part and step up to what you've called us to. Jesus, thank you that you've called us to great things. Lord, a vision that we couldn't dream up, but that you've spoken into our hearts. And once again this morning, we want to give ourselves to you, Lord, 
Thank you that you are building your church, Jesus. And thank you that we get to play our part. Lord, this morning we're fresh. We want to give you ourselves. We want to commit to being part of what you're doing in the earth. Thank you, Lord, that you have a part for each of us to play. Thank you that each of us has a contribution to bring, a difference to make, gifts to serve with, skills and experience to bring. So, Father, I want to pray this morning that you would stir those things once again in our hearts. Lord, that you would re-envision us, you would refresh us by your Spirit, that we would serve you out of knowing your grace in our lives. And Jesus, you would do remarkable things here. Lord, we love to serve you. We love to follow you. And we're so excited about what you're doing. Thank you for choosing us, Lord, to be part of it. Thank you for getting us on board. Father, once again, we want to give you ourselves, give you our hearts and our lives for your great name's sake and your glory. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. We're going to sing as we close and worship the Lord. And if these things have stirred you and you feel you just want to recommit yourself to the Lord in these sort of things and give yourselves to him, then there's an opportunity to receive prayer if that would be helpful to you as we sing and worship the Lord together. If you want to come to the front, there will be others who can come alongside and um, pray with you. Maybe if you feel like, yeah, I'm really committed to that, but I'm just a bit tired and weary and we're worn out in serving. Again, we'd love to pray with you that you might know fresh joy and fresh grace in serving the Lord and might experience something of him this morning. So let's worship the Lord together if you'd like to receive prayer. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.